Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, May the 29th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by healthcare guru Todd Campbell. Todd, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And I am just really, really excited to talk about um, some just incredibly innovative, disruptive uh, new medicines that could become available. I mean, this is just. I love these topics, and I love doing these shows exactly for this reason. I am so on point with you, Todd. Um, in preparing for this show for this week, um, I always love coming on week after week. But for me, when we talk about innovation, when we talk about really pushing the needle and driving better health outcomes, I get super excited. So I've been waiting days to talk about this. And for our listeners... Today's show is really all about the field of gene therapy. First, we're going to be diving into what is right now the most expensive drug out on the market, or soon to come out on the market, was approved last week. And we're also going to be talking about BioMarin's updates on their potential game-changer hemophilia. Um, So, we're going to be diving into all of that, but let's kick things off with Novartis. Um, There's been a lot of buzz here, Todd. And a lot of splashy, somewhat controversial headlines around Novartis, that's ticker symbol NVS, and their gene therapy drug, Zolgensma. Uh, Try saying that 10 times. But this is a drug, one-and-done therapy, that truly has the potential to change lives. Todd, we've been talking about this drug on the show before. You pointed this out last Friday when the approval came through that this is not only a game changer for Novartis, for another company we've been talking about, Regenex Bio, um, but really, truly a huge win for patients. What can you tell us about this drug and what this means? Right. And we've talked about this indication a few times, too, because we're going to, as we get knee deep into this conversation, I'm sure we're going to talk about another drug that's on the market already that got launched in 2016. What we're talking about with Zolgensma is a gene therapy that's now approved for use in an indication called spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. And it's approved for use in patients who are younger than two years old. One of the things that that everybody who's following the story should understand is that SMA is just it's it's just it's a deadly disease. It's it's the leading cause, genetic cause, of infant mortality. It's characterized by inability to produce a particular protein that's critical to the survival of motor neurons. And unable to produce that protein, these infants they they lose the ability to breathe on their own. They they can't eat on their own. Ninety percent sadly, of the patients with the most severe type, uh, type 1, are either on permanent ventilation by age 2 or sadly passed away. So there's just a, a major need for new approaches to this. And Zolgen, Zolgensma, which just won FDA approval last week, um, is game-changing because it's a one-and-done therapy. It uses an inactivated viral vector that was developed by Regenex Bio, which, as you mentioned, we've talked about on the show before, uh, to deliver a functional copy of the gene responsible for producing the uh, the protein that they can't produce on their own. And in trials, Shannon, the results are, are I'll just call them remarkable, remarkable. 
this particular drug is truly a landmark. It's only the second gene therapy ever approved for a genetic disease. So this is really pushing the needle in terms of just innovation. These are truly sick patients here. Many of these children don't survive past their second birthday. So the need has been huge, but um, I won't say this is the only treatment out there. Biogen and Ionis have a drug on the market called Spinraza. Uh, Spinraza is not a one-and-done treatment. Um, Spinraza essentially, it was approved in late 2016, has been treated in over 7,500 patients with severe and milder forms of SMA. Um, So they do have a slightly broader label. Um, They can treat anywhere from the sickest, which are the type 1 patients that you mentioned, Todd, all the way up to adults who have had milder forms of the disease and had a more gradual progression of the disease as well. But, I mean, Spinraza also comes with a high price tag. You're talking about spinal infusions that cost $750,000 in the first year and then $375,000 annually thereafter. Um, And so for a lot of reasons, Novartis and their drug with Avexis is not only one and done, but really also has the convenience factor. And even though it wasn't a head-to-head trial, potentially um, a, a drug that could prove to be even more efficacious than what's out there. Right. So the approval was based on um, data from two trials, an ongoing trial and an early stage trial. As of March 2019, 19 of the 21 patients who were enrolled in their STRIVE clinical trial were alive and not requiring permanent ventilation. And 13 of those patients had reached the age of 14 months. Also, 10 of those patients were able to sit without support for at least 30 seconds at an average of 12 months. And that's something that, you know, Novartis, when it was talking about just how important this approval is for these patients, they said that that's, that wouldn't happen in this patient group. They just would not be able to sit on their own um, for that long period of time. They also said that only about 25% of the patients who meet the, met the criteria to be enrolled in STRIVE were, would be even expected to live beyond the 14th mark month mark. Um, they also, you know, reminded investors of another trial um, called START, in which 15 patients were enrolled. Uh, 12 of those uh, were involved in the, the highest dose cohort, the one that was approved. And at 24 months, all 12 of those patients were alive and not requiring permanent ventilation. And that is just, again, remarkable for this indication. We've been talking all around this, Shannon, for the entire, you know, five or, or whatever minutes we've been we've been chatting, uh, talking about the price, right? We already mentioned that there's a drug on the market, uh, marketed by <clears throat> Ionis and Biogen, that's pretty expensive, 750000 for the first year in which four injections are given, and then 375000 in the remaining years thereafter, uh, three injections per year. This drug, uh, Novartis has priced at $2.125 million per patient. And I think that one of the things you're seeing in the media is that's the focus, right? That's the clickbaity headline that everybody's running with. $2 million gene therapy. Um, But we have to remember, too, that the way that Novartis has priced this drug, Shannon, is they're allowing payers to pay for the drug over five years. So they're five on average. That's four hundred and twenty-five thousand a year. And if you add that up and then compare it to Spinraza, it's actually cheaper. 
And not only cheaper, but Novartis has come out and said that because it's a one-time treatment, it actually costs 50% less than the 10-year cost of current chronic management of the disease itself. Um, And you even have ICER, which is the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. They evaluate drug prices. They are actually backing the pricing of this drug, too. They came out earlier this year, said the drug was worth up to about $1.5 million, and they estimated that a reasonable price would be between $1.2 to $2.1 million based on their estimate of quality of life years. And so for them, they're saying this falls right in the range of what they're looking at. So not only do you have Novartis trying to work with insurers to make sure access is there for patients, but you also have ICER coming back and backing the price of this, too. Yeah, and that's important because what's really going to come down to is if, okay, you have this drug now, theoretically, this can be life-changing for these infants. And if you're a parent, you're going to want your infant to have this. I mean, Spinraza, not to knock, knock it, it's a, it's a great drug. But in the trials that, that, that backed up its approval, it only worked in about 40% of patients. So, you know, again, not a head-to-head trial, but on the surface... Having a one-and-done therapy rather than one that requires multiple injections per year um, is very attractive. So they're working with payers trying to figure out, okay, we'll do this five-year pricing plan. We There may be um, some insurers that get value pricing, where as long as it's working within those patients, they'll continue to pay for that five-year period. They're still ironing out all those details, but they do expect to make this product available within two weeks so following this approval, there's a really rapid avail, you know, uh, amount of availability. And that's going to be great, obviously, for Novartis's top line, theoretically, because Spinraza's sales in the first quarter uh, were over $500 million. It has a $2 billion re- revenue run rate. Um, and so if, if Zolgensma can win away a lot of market share, and I think it can, then this could be a significant drug for Novartis. And you know, also for RegenX Bio, because RegenX Bio can collect royalties and uh, and milestones. That's right. And really, for shareholders of Novartis, they're hoping to recoup some of that $8.7 billion that the company spent to buy and acquire Avexis last, last spring. Um, and really, with the way the pricing is built out for this drug and with the addressable market, it doesn't sound like it'll take long uh, to recoup those costs. So, certainly a blockbuster drug on their hands uh, for sure. But yes, for Regenex Bio, super, super excited to see them get validation of their platform. Again, they are building out a, a technology platform for a lot of these viral vectors, a lot of these companies that are developing treatments for cell and gene therapies um, to move forward. So, um, if it's not on your watch list, you should put it there. That's ticker symbol RGNX for Regenx Bio as well. But with that, let's uh, switch gears. Let's talk about the other name in the headlines as well, and that is none other than Biomarin. That is ticker symbol BMRN for our listeners out there. Investors have been waiting pretty anxiously for new updates on their gene therapy drug for hemophilia. We'll just call it Valrox for short here, Todd. Um, And so we got updates yesterday. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So we got updates yesterday. Um, Actually, multiple updates. Todd, it was a bit of a mixed bag of results. Kind of left some investors scratching their heads. What did you make of it? All right. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty of that in a minute. Um, I think that this actually, this gene therapy, is potentially more important to the healthcare system 
than you know what when, the one we were just talking about in the early segment because this is a larger patient population. So hemophilia A, right? These patients don't produce a protein, clotting factor eight, that's necessary for coagulation. As a result, they're at risk for life-threatening bleeds. And these bleeds can happen a lot for patients with the severe form of it. And it's a relatively, you know, it's not a huge patient population, but it's big. It's over 100,000 patients um, that have hemophilia A, and it's a 10 billion treatment market right now. So um, this theoretically, a one and done uh, gene therapy in this indication could theoretically make be even more important to more people because it impacts more people and theoretically could could save um, payers a lot of money by changing or disrupting the current treatment paradigm. Um, Biomarin Valrox is the drug uh, that they're evaluating. They have a phase one, two trial that is continuing and ongoing, and they have a phase three trial. And they released information from both of those trials. Um, the phase three data is the one that was arguably more of a mixed bag where a lot of people um, looked at um, the durability of this uh, gene therapy and, and were wondering, hmm, how long really will it benefit patients, and we'll get to the data in a second. The phase three study uh, results were actually interim results, and those results were good enough that Biomarin now per, um, uh, plans on filing for FDA approval for Valrox um, at some point soon. They're going to give us an update on the exact timing in the third quarter, but they did say on their conference call that they think it's possible to have these this drug approved, Valrox approved, in the EU and the US in the third quarter of 2020. And essentially, Shannon, what Valrox does is it restores, it delivers a gene necessary to produce the missing clotting factor, restoring coagulation for these patients, thereby preventing the need for them to have regular prophylactic infusions of factor eight. And that is huge because factor eight uh, infusions, prophylactic, run between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars a year. So extremely expensive. And I'm so glad that you brought up that point because, yes, this drug does have the potential to truly um, transform and change the healthcare landscape just because of how expensive it is to treat this condition. But really, what it comes down to is Valrox is enabling patients to make their own factor eight so they don't have to keep using these expensive drugs to treat the disease. I think with the data that came out this week, um, Bleeds, of course, and controlling bleeds is one thing. And I think for patients and for physicians, obviously, that's that's the outcome that they want. But for investors, um, for even practitioners, the question mark, I think, for the data that was released is really about the durability of response. And so what we saw for the first uh, three-year phase two update, number one, it came out before they were anticipating it. I don't think they were anticipating releasing that until June. Um, so we got it early, which was great. Um, but it was the, the durability of response here, Todd, that I think just has more question marks than answers right now. Right. So, okay. So the phase three data that they're going to use to file for proof or showed at at weeks 23 to 26, a 96% percent 
reduction in average annualized bleeds. So they, the average patient went from 16 events at baseline annualized per year to less than one event. That is huge. Um, I think that that is, is very important to, to, to recognize that you're talking about better than 90, mid 90% reductions um, in bleed rates and significant reductions in the need for um, for these prophylactic infusions, like you said, investors actually knocked down Biomarin on this news because they looked at that three-year data on the phase one two and said, "Yeah, but we're noticing a decline in the activity of factor eight. And what does that mean? Does that mean that over time it will continue to decline? Production will decline, and these patients will end up needing to go back on prophylactic therapy? I mean." I suppose it's possible. If you look at that phase uh, one, two data, the three-year update, the uh, on average, the average patient, patient, the activity was 64 international units per deciliter at the end of the first year. So 64, remember that number, 64. At the end of two years, it had dropped to 36. And at the end of three years, it had dropped on average to 34. And I think patients are looking at that decline and saying, whoa, we've gone from 64 after, at year one to 34 right now. Does that, you know, what does that mean? And I think, Shannon, the thing that we need to remind everybody is that, you know, clinicians call this hemophilia severe because when, when patients are producing like one international unit per deciliter, like one, okay, when you get above five, so five to 40, that's considered mild disease and less likely to be at risk for spontaneous bleeds. So if you're an investor and you're looking at this data, I think the thing is to focus on, okay, ideally a gene therapy that can produce at 40 would be great because, you know, mild is ranges from five to 40. Um, but anything above five, you're basically taking someone who is categorized as severe and you know, requiring prophylaxis and turning them into a mild patient that may not require prophylaxis. Yeah, and ultimately, with uh, particularly the phase three data, management is really focusing on uh, controlling bleeds. And so they were able to meet their threshold for um, submitting for approval for what the regulators wanted to see. So while the data is while they're mixed, I think ultimately this is approvable data moving forward. Um, and I think another knock, because the shares, I believe, fell maybe 5 or 6% off the news, I think another knock is just keeping in mind the competition. You've got Spark Therapeutics, soon to be acquired by Roche. Um, you've got Unicure with their preclinical hemophilia A program. You've got Sangamo Therapeutics also has a drug with the potential to show um, longer durability. So I think while the data are good, there's still just some overall question marks because ultimately if this field gets crowded um, and you see that the bleeds are controlled pretty comparably among all the competition, I think it will come down to durability of response. Management is saying uh, that with factor eight levels, um, it looks like they're starting to plateau, and ultimately they think durability at minimum could be about eight years, which is still pretty good to your point, Todd. I mean, these are patients who um, have had very little other options to choose from. So I think overall, it's headed in the right direction. It'll just be some question marks around competition. Yeah, if you look at the costs again, going back to the cost of prophylaxis, it's going to run you between two hundred and three hundred thousand. If you have a severe bleeding event, 
you could absolutely see the cost per patient climb above a million for a patient in any given year. So, but let's ignore that. Let's just look at the two to 300,000. So multiply by that eight, that's 1.6 million plus in, in potential you know, value that then you would have to figure out what the price is. And I think that that's what a lot of investors were looking at. If they're like, okay, well, if this is a lifetime fix, then they could get away with charging anything. 3 million, 4 million, 5 million per patient, who knows, right? But if it's not as durable, maybe they're only going to be able to price it at 1 million or something like that. We don't, we simply don't know. Um, And it's too early to even have that conversation. I think that what we need to recognize is that from patient perspective and from a doctor treating a patient perspective, it's really all about the bleeds. As long as you're producing enough factor eight so that you're not at risk of those spontaneous bleeds, I think that you're going to find that patients and doctors are happy and are going to be more than willing to use it. And I think you're going to find that payers are going to be more than willing to pay for it. You mentioned you've got Spark out there with, I think, Spark 8011. You've got Sangamo out there with SB525. You've got all of these others who are also working on gene therapy. As we saw with hepatitis C, if all of these drugs do come to market and they all, let's just assume because there have been questions about durability with Sparks and some of these others. Let's assume that they all have this kind of durability problem. Um, eventually, you'll get to a point where prices will be driven down because there's multiple players in the market. We're still pretty far away from that. And I think that Biomarin, um, you know, the fact that they're already an existing company, proven company, $1.7 billion in estimated revenue coming this year already from their existing rare, rare disease drugs. I think this is a very, very... Uh, important advance and an important potential drug for this company. And frankly, I, I think that investors may regret selling shares yesterday. All right, Todd, you're putting it out there. We're going to hold you to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going out on a limb. I'm He's going, going out, out on, on a limb there. Uh, we'll yeah, I mean, and think about the, you know, before we jump, um, one more thing too. I mean, think about, you know, how important this market has been. I mean, we had Roche acquire Spark, which you mentioned, right? That was a $5 billion deal. And Spark, you know, they have one drug on the market that does like a couple million dollars in sales. In 2018, you had Sanofi acquire BioVeritive. That was an $11.6 billion deal. And it was done when uh, BioVeritive sales were only about a billion. And in 2016, you had Shire buy Bexalta for $32 billion, right? When its sales were about $6 billion, of which half came from hemophilia. So I think that this is a very attractive market. And I, I'm not saying that BioMarin is going to get acquired. And I'm not, but you're saying but there's a is, chance there, Todd. <laughs> I, I'm saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a significant there's a significant interest in this space, and that this is a disruptive medicine that we shouldn't ignore as investors. Yeah, very, very well said. And we'll be sure to keep all of our listeners up to date on all the latest as this continues to play out. But that'll do it for this week's Industry Focus Healthcare Show. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is being mixed by Austin Morgan for Todd Campbell. I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on. 